2: Thank you for joining me on what is a brand new chapter in the UK Film Review story, which I know you've been a big character already so far. I hope so. Um, And for those who are listening, this is episode one of a brand new show, part of the UK Film Review podcast. We're calling, for now, UK Film Club. And... We've been kind of toying with this idea for a while. I spoke to Brian about this last year, mm. and the idea was to have a podcast that was kind of like a book club, where you had maybe like set reading, uh, whereas we've got set viewing. That we would have like films that we want to watch or that we're going to watch, but what we, what we want is actually for our listeners to pitch in, you know, send in your voice notes and reviews of the films that we're covering and the films that we're going to cover because. Everything's better when we share. We know this, and yeah. it's better connected. That's someone's yeah. slogan. I'm going to get in trouble for using that, but um, yeah, and also it gives us a chance to do what UK Film Review does at its very best, which is cover everything. Like what we want to do is cover cinema releases, which Brian is going to be very much the, the the lead on that, and some streaming, and also some Indian short films, which we are always championing you're always uh, on the lookout for, for good ones so in this episode um we've got an absolute smorgasbord if i'm honest there That's is a good word it uh,
3: uh, is right um
2: smorgasbord <laughs> i said it slower then um this is great because brian has seen a whole bunch of Theatrical releases, and we're going to tap into those first. Um, but coming up later on as well, we're also going to be looking at the big streaming release, everything everywhere all at once, which is very timely because the Oscars at time of recording this are just around the corner. Um, and I know it's been doing very well in uh, a lot of the award shows. We're also going to be doing a couple of uh, indie films. One is called Pavor Nocturnus, and the other one is called Love, and we're going to be finishing up with what I'm currently calling the nostalgia hit, or the nostalgia pick. Um, I won't tell any people what it is, because I think you should listen in to get to the Mm. end to see which classic film me and Brian are going to review. Um, As long as I haven't put it in the description of this episode, and you're seeing it (laughs) there. Um, Message to self. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I must make a note of that. Don't make a note of that. Um, But before we get to all of that, we're going to head to the big silver screen. Mm. Brian, um, well, I have the Whitney Houston film first. Are you happy to start there? Yeah. All right, so I want to dance with somebody. Go for it.
3: It's... A film that's still running, it came out on Boxing Day, but it's still going strong and for a biopic, I think it's pretty much does the job. There are no great revelations there. It tells us things that we already know about, Whitney, but what it does do is showcase a unique talent and also brings to the fore a very good actor, Naomi Naomi Aki, who's a Walthamstow girl, she's a London girl, doing a great Whitney Houston, now, she, she does sing occasionally, but with the hits, it's Naomi Miyaki singing. But I, I think it's a really good, entertaining, fun movie to go out and watch. Now, I suppose if you are a fan of Whitney, that does help a lot. But even if you're not a fan, um, it's, it's worth watching. It's worth seeing just to get some depth... Of the talent that she had, the person she was, and the demons that she was always fighting, uh, which which are a, a focused which they focus in on in, in this film, particularly this uh, constant fight that she had to be accepted as a black recording artist when she was always being accused of uh, making pop records or making music for white people when it that wasn't the case at all because R and B is R and B, it's soul. And uh, it's a very good movie. Stanley Tucci's in it. He plays Clive Davis, the um, the record company boss who, who signs Whitney. Um, so a very good film. Some really good performances there. We've got Clark Peters playing John Huston. Uh, that, that's the, the father of, of Whitney. And a very good film. Some great hits to look back on. If you grew up in the 80s, it'll bring back some great memories for you. But also tells a fairly balanced story of a fragile and damaged uh, character who left us far too soon. I think that's the great sadness there is that, you know, they say the worst thing in life is wasted talent. And it was since she was 48 when she died, but here's an opportunity to be entertained by a great talent. Very good film. Very watchable.
2: Well, I must say I'm a sucker for a a musical biopic because Big fan of music, yeah, you know, musician, songwriter, and I've, I find that they're always good stories because you're dealing with a character that is artistic and creative, mm. so <laughs> they're always trouble. And you've so, got, yeah. but yeah, you know, obviously, when you've got someone with a complete household name, and funnily yeah. enough, on the poster for this, it says about it, it's from the writer of Bohemian Rhapsody that yeah. these. Household names, people that I'd grow up, you know, listening to my parents oh, mention this person, mention that person, and suddenly mm. be getting these films about, you know, you know, fictionalized films about these people, or or, or a, an attempt to tell a story about this person. That it's interesting, and I think they obviously from a um production point of view. The film companies can kind of count on the fact that they're already tapping into a big base. You know, they know that people mm-hmm. they're gonna get bombs yeah. on seats. People are going to turn up. They're not no one's gonna sort of avoid this if they're already a fan of Houston's music. So yeah. there is that side of it. But what I do like about this, you know, I've gone through um the, the cast and I've watched a trailer and I've read your reviewing things and it, it's yeah. one of those films I know once it comes on like I will watch it. Um, Just for the listeners, uh, you might be uh, wondering why Brian sees the, the the cinema films and I don't. I've got two young kids mm. and I find it very difficult to get out so yeah. um, that might change over the years, who knows but <laughs> yeah, right yeah, now, you know, we, yeah. me and Brian already have to reschedule our podcast yeah. because uh-huh. my kids are always sick <laughs> so yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, Brian, uh, bless him, gets to go out and go to the cinema and watch all these great films, but then I get to live vicariously through him. Mm. He tells me what they're like. And now that he's telling you as well.
0: Um,
2: But it would be great if anyone has seen I Want to Dance with Somebody, please do uh, send us your your voice notes and things. Um, We'll put some instructions on our website as to how to do that, because we would like to add them into our actual show next time. Um, Okay. Good, good. So that's uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Now, the next film I had on your list that you've seen, um, Till, is that right? Oh, Till, yeah. Uh,
3: One of my favourite films, actually. Wow. It's still on general release at the moment. This is a true story uh, of Emmett Till, um, a 14-year-old boy who who was lynched and murdered in Mississippi in 1955 because he winked at, at a white girl. It's an amazing story, uh, a terrifying indictment of the way human beings can treat each other just because the color of a person's skin is different. And what's frightening about this and impressive at the same time is that it actually happened. You think this couldn't be possible, surely. But of all the, the horrors that happened in the deep south uh, of America, this has got to be one of the most uh, troubling episodes you were ever likely to, to see, because you keep on checking yourself when you when you watch your film like this. You think, God, this is true, this actually happened. And the star of the movie is basically the the mother, Mamie, played by Danielle Deadweiler, uh, who was excellent in the part. And she is the star of the film, essentially. Jalen Hall very good as Emmett Till, but it's it's Daniel Deadweiler who, who steals the film from everyone because of the way Mamie in real life reacted to the the murder of her son. Uh, she insisted that his body be viewed in an open coffin, just so uh, people could see what they'd done to her son, and it led it led to, to a a change of attitude. So uh, yeah, the, the beauty of Till is that it tells um, a harrowing story of uh, laws in, in America uh, that precipitated the civil rights movement. And it just tells a wonderfully real story of what can happen to people just because their skin is a different colour. It's a film that's been sadly overlooked, I think. Uh, it has won some awards. And most films do win awards in one description or another, but it hasn't. It's been bypassed in the Oscars, which I find surprising. But it's it's an amazing film, and this is great storytelling. So it's as I say, it's one of the the best films that I've seen on release at the moment.
2: I mean, I remember the the story uh, of Emmett Till when I was studying at uni, and it was um, shocking, and obviously uh, that period of American history is absolutely fraught with these horrific stories and times of discontent and um, we've seen quite a few films come from that period Uh, Mm -hmm. because obviously a lot of the popular figures around that time uh, Martin Luther King things like that you're going to have those films have all kind of emerged and with something like this you know you've got a character that would have been unknown it's not you know not like a, a celebrity character as such you've got someone that is um uh, and i'm wondering if that's where it's kind of being missed maybe because like i said you, you know you i agree i've not really heard a massive amount about this whereas you know some of the other films we're gonna look at have, there's been a lot of coverage about them yeah. um you know and it's obviously tackling um or looking at racism that there does seem to be a lot to for people to maybe have to engage with here. That maybe it's sort of after the tumultuous few years that we're all having. That it's what maybe it's been unfortunately timed. You know, yeah,
3: well. yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe there is a reluctance to confront the issues that they present in this film. Because I mean, um, you look at George Floyd, for example, um, and what followed. Followed that, mm. maybe it is uncomfortable to watch. It's not an easy watch. To, to say the least but it's just it's, it's scary but it's it's riveting you just can't take your eyes off it and as i say daniel deadwilo is amazing in the role incredible film it really is well
2: but, it's got a but, nominated for a bafta so you know well, quite literally. right too
3: I'm, it's nice to see that our, our our academy has recognized its um its value but uh, a very good film there
2: well, that's Till. So I do hope people uh, seek it out. Again, you know, with anything Brian recommends, goes on my automatic list mm. of must-watches. So I was, this sounds right up my street. It's exactly the exact kind of film I like watching. So I will be looking out for that one. Um, next up uh, is an interesting one, because there's been quite a bit about this. So I'm intrigued to see what you think about Babylon.
3: Babylon. Right, okay. So Babylon is the story of the Hollywood golden era, just as it's transitioning from silent movies into the talkies. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a an area that's been raided frequently in the past by filmmakers. This version stars Brad Pitt as Jack Conrad, an actor who fears that his career might be over because the talkies are now with us. And it also stars Margot Robbie as Nellie Leroy, who's uh, a very smart, fast-talking kid that's trying to wheedle her way into into the film industry. And in many ways, it's it's a handsome-looking film. It's brilliant to watch, but the length would put a lot of people off. I'm sure it's three hours nine minutes long, oh. and that that is a a hell of an ask, really, to to invest that amount of time to sit in one position to watch a film. It, as I say, it's a great-looking film. You know, it's very reminiscent of the classic Hollywood era insofar that the the visuals, the set pieces, you could say it's Cecil B. DeMille. It's It's got that kind of appreciation of scale. So the visuals are fantastic. But it's very funny in places. It's hilarious. You know, they're tr- within the film, they're trying to shoot uh, a scene in a film that um, they're trying to... They're still getting used to the idea of sound as well as visuals. And they keep on trying to take the same scene and they keep on getting it wrong. And it is brilliant. It's so funny the way they're all reacting. And Margot Robbie does anger and frustration so well. And it is brilliant. But it's buried, you know, at different points in the script. You think, oh, that's great. I really enjoyed that bit. But then it kind of seeps into self-indulgence slightly, I think. Because of, of the, the length of the film. I mean, they say that all films are 20 minutes too long. I would say this film is an hour too long. You could quite easily chop an hour off this and it would be a much better film for it. Having said that, though, it is good because of the production values, the way it looks, because you've got Margot Robbie, you've got Brad Pitt. And it, it does tell that story of rank debauchery in Hollywood. That wasn't seen by the masses, you know. At the top, you know, the the, vi- the visible side of Hollywood at the time was very wholesome and very clean-cut. But underneath it all, it, it was chaos. You know, it was complete debauchery, and that's what it. That's what it, sh- it depicts very well. But you know, some places are very dark film as well, but very entertaining if you can cope with the length of the film.
2: Yeah, I always think, you know, any film that's pushing past well any like two and a half hours to be honest, if you're pushing past two, it's a you you gotta have a reason. This looks like the kind of film that has that cinematic feel to it, like it needs to be seen in the cinema, like it has that big screen. Oh yeah, you've or... got
3: to sit on a big screen. Definitely. Yeah,
2: that that feels like that's there. Obviously, um Damien Chazelle, known for the, his big uh epic blockbusters like La La Land and stuff, that I think this feels very much in the same ballpark that you know it's kind of like go see it at cinema it's a celebration of cinema and you've got to I think invest in it I guess but with that kind of cast and the spectacle at least you're getting your money's worth from a cinema oh, yeah. think, you know I Great think that, that's worthwhile um but yeah Babylon I I, I will probably watch it but in and all, my um, in my typical uh, routine of a three hour film, I will watch it in about eight parts. Yeah, so. <laughs>
3: probably. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Also, if you're a jazz fan, there's a great soundtrack on the film as well, which is really sort of jazz based, but it's brilliant, brilliant soundtrack. So, yeah. But I think what will probably happen is that people will wait for it to go online, and they'll see it then. And as you say, break it into parts. You know, De Niro said recently when he was being in, when Robert De Niro was being interviewed about The Irishman which was three hours, 27 minutes long. he was asked, you know, are you happy for people to see it in separate parts? Because it, it aired on Netflix. He said, yeah, it's okay. right? And people were shocked that even De Niro said, yeah, it's okay if you want to watch it in bits. So if De Niro says it's okay, Chris, it's okay.
2: Well, we've been doing it since we had VHS. I don't know why people think that we didn't do it before. Like, it's not Netflix that invented the pause button. Oh, um, yeah. I think yeah. also there's there is a, you know, a good thing about watching a film all in one go because you never break your you know, momentum with it. but there are other films that often benefit from that little break. You know, sometimes it's like okay right yeah and then you can come back in especially if you're looking at these kind of like um, three four hour films like when I watched the extended Lord of the Rings, we used to have them on DVD. Uh, Or Blu ray, and they were on separate discs anyway. You had to, they couldn't fit it all on one disc. So you had to, like, get up and change it over. And it's just, you know, just was what it was. And in um, some cinemas, they still have intervals, don't they? They still have, like, breaks in the middle. So that's right. Yeah. It's not uh, not unheard of. I think people just get all a bit funny about it as if there's some kind of magic that happens if you endure three hours without somehow needing the toilet. (laughs) It's like, what?
3: Yeah, but I think also, also, though, that you can make a film three hours long. If you decide to sit down and watch it all the way through, make it three hours long by all means, provided that you're doing something. This is from the filmmaker's point of view. Mm. Do something meaningful with the extra time, screen time, and don't just let it slide into something that's really self-indulgent. thing. Oh, this, this is good. I'll put this in. Because really, if an editor had sat down with a the director, they could have taken an hour off. They could have kept the, the full uncut version for later release. But I think that might have helped it stay on general release for longer. Well, going uh, back
2: to like the Whitney Houston one, it, it sometimes I feel sorry for historical biopics uh, and with Till as well, because there probably is so much history and story that they want to put in because it gives context and it gives mm. you know, information. But as a piece... Of art, you have to be able to tell that story in a mm. way that's going to you know because if you go back to the oldest form of storytelling, which is just telling people, you, mm. then you're not going to keep them around. You know they're going to wander off, they're going to walk off if you if it's too long. If yeah. you don't keep it on point, and I think that's the you know like I say the job of the editor. It needs to be done. And if you're saying that you could see them cutting an hour from that film, then yeah. you know I think that's that's fair enough. And like you say, it seems to be showing. As as to the uh, reaction to the film, so yeah. well, well, well uh, that's that's uh, that's Babylon. So um, we're going to head to one of the greatest directors of all time next, uh, Steven Spielberg, yeah. whose uh, latest film, The Fablemans. Is that? I think that's still out. That's still in. Uh, that, still in yeah, cinemas that, at the moment.
3: that's still running. The Fablemans really. Should should be called the Spielberg's. I mean, it's the it's the story of Steven Spielberg's family when he was growing up. This is the a typical family living in America in the Midwest. Uh, the father is a, a high flying uh, technical whiz kid, electrical executive, who's dragging his family all over the country uh, to further his own career. And the the mother is a talented pianist, but is is trapped in domesticity. She's there to uh, keep the home, raise the family, and they have three daughters and a son who's obsessed with film by filmmaking. Mm, I wonder who, the, who that is. Um, <laughs> but it but it resonates. It will resonate f- for a lot of people where where the, you have this dynamic between two very talented parents. One has a career, the other one doesn't because she's expected to be the mother, to be the nurturer. And I, I think people obviously re- are going to relate to that. And that was really the story of the Spielbergs. And it, it, it kind of unlocks a secret uh, through his love of filmmaking. So it is pretty close to Steven Spielberg's family and the way he grew up and the way his parents worked as a unit, if you like. Michelle Williams plays Mitzi, the mother. She's been nominated for an Oscar. And she's very good in it. Paul Dano plays the father. Uh, Judd Hirsch uh, does a very brief turn, a five minute turn as Uncle Boris and he's got an Oscar nomination for it. I still can't work, quite work out how he's got that, but you know, it's all about opinions, isn't it? <laughs> but um, not a typical Spielberg film in so far that it's not a popcorn movie. It's not like Jurassic Park or Indiana Jones. It's not like that at all. It's a film that makes you, that challenges you more on a, on a more intellectual level on a more emotional level. It becomes a different kind of Spielberg film, but it is Spielberg, and it works, and it holds your attention. So it does all the things that you expect a Spielberg film to do. So, very good film, very watchable, and a, and a more reasonable running length as well. I think this is two hours twenty. I think
2: two mm, thirty uh, on two thirty one. I beg your but, pardon? No, two thirty one. Close enough. But, I mean, ten minutes from.
3: For credits, right? <laughs> I was going to say, take off the credits. It probably is about two twenty, yeah. but a, a very good film. You know, one thing you can say about Steven Spielberg is that he tries something different with every film he makes, and there are—he's not afraid of experiment. I mean, this this is a semi-autobiographical tale, but there are very few directors that are bold enough to try things that are different. So he won't stay in his comfort zone, and he's—he's he's confronting. His own family story, and there are some other uncomfortable home truths there uh, that come out as well. So it's brave on on his part to do that, but it's very, very good film, very watchable, um, a nice film to go out and watch.
2: Fantastic. Sounds great. Always going to watch a Spielberg. You got to watch all the Spielberg. Well, no, it, no way it's, it's
3: it. yeah, it's almost like a kind of an obligation when you become a film fan. You've got yeah. to watch the latest Spielberg movie. However you, however it turns out, whether you like it or not, you know Spielberg's that kind of director. You you've got to watch what
2: he does. You know, I'm also a big fan of Paul Dano,
3: and he plays a character in the film. So yeah, he plays the dad. He plays
2: Burt. Yeah, very, he's very he's
3: good. Great. Seth Rogen's in it as well. Who plays Uh, The best friend, Benny. So, again, very strong cast. All work really well together. It's a nice film. Very nice film. There
2: we go. Um, Now, if you haven't heard of this next film, then I'm guessing you don't have the internet because it is everywhere. And I'm glad it is because it stars one of my favourite actors of all time, Brendan Fraser. It is, of course, The Whale. And yeah. I'm gutted I haven't seen this yet because it's been around for a while. It's also Darren Aronofsky, who I love. Yeah. So tell me, Brian, tell yes. me.
3: It's I think you're in for a treat. And everyone listening is in for a treat if they haven't seen this film yet. It stars Brendan Fraser in what you would call a career-defining role. He is absolutely amazing in this film. He's got the Oscar nomination for Best Actor and I, I think he will win it. I think the only other nominee that could challenge him really is Bill Nye for living, but I think he's, he's nailed on to win the Oscar for best actor. He plays Charlie who's uh, an English tutor who's morbidly obese, uh, is uh, trapped in his apartment. His carer, Liz played by Hong Chao, who's also been nominated for an Oscar plays his carer who's fighting to keep him alive. And as his health worsens, he tries to repair his, his relationship with his daughter, Ellie, who's played by Sadie Sink. I think it's an amazing film, but it's amazing more for the performances than the film itself. What I think is surprising, whilst the, the performance of the actors has won universal acclaim, the film's got mixed reviews, oddly enough. Hmm. I think if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got like 66%, which is kind of like a middling sort of score, which doesn't really match up with you know, the acting performances, you think, how can that be? And I think probably part of the problem here, if there is a problem at all, um, but being critics, we do take these things apart, don't we? Um, It's based on a stage play. And I think it really shows because the film itself barely ventures outside the room that he more or less inhabits. And you think, well, that's what the character is because he's morbidly obese. But I think it's not using all the options that film gives you. Because there are no flashbacks, there is a really interesting backstory there that, that develops, but they don't use that that option that they can use on film. So it's obviously a stage play. But you know, if you were being hypercritical, you could say that it, it's simply filming the story on stage and pointing a camera at it. But that would be a minor quibble to most, because it's it's a riveting film. You cannot take your eyes off it. The prosthetics are incredible, really, because obviously Brendan Fraser hasn't put on, God forbid, hasn't put on weight to play this role. But the prosthetics are really convincing. And it's, a, it's a, there are the performances are stronger than the film itself, I think, because it is a stage play and it kind of feels a bit rigid. But, I mean, again, it's a minor point. It's a wonderful film to watch. And by the way, the wow isn't a reference to him as a character. It's a reference to the whale in Moby Dick, which is integral to the story that's being told here. But it's it's a brilliant film. The acting's amazing. I mean, you you, you just... That character type of character, it doesn't make you feel pity for the character, but you're rooting for him. And yeah. that's the secret of acting, is to make you care and make you want a happy ending for him. It's lovely. It's a beautiful film.
0: Wow.
2: Brian, thank you so much for rounding up those cinematic releases um and i think you know what an amazing selection um this time of the year does tend to have some good releases because they're all in the run-up to the to the Oscars so yeah. um, not surprised that we've got some great films there but yeah yeah very impressed by what i'm hearing and um yeah if you're listening and you want to share your thoughts on any of the films uh, that brian went through please do uh, head to our website ukfilmreview.co.uk and there'll be a button somewhere i'll put a button somewhere put
3: a button in i'll put a button in
2: um and now we move to the streaming (laughs) i might put in a funky little guitar there or something but you know it needs something
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah I'm like, dubla, 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 like yeah. world or something. You know, so like we that's... know when it's coming in. So people yeah. know when they listen when it's coming in. I'll put it in in post. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, But this film, much like The Whale, has been everywhere. And everywhere is even in the title. That's a good link. That is a good link. Come on. Um, I should write some of this down, really, but I don't. Um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I watched this based on uh, a guy I work with. It's like, he said it's his favourite film. And I'm always very much like, if someone says it's their favourite film Mm. and it's a new release, I'm like, okay, well, it must be pretty good for you to have done that. But, um for me uh, it was something I definitely wanted to watch uh, because I'd heard great things I'd also heard it is a multiverse film which we've had a few of those in the last few yeah. years and it was apparently the you know, the one to beat them all it was this is the the multiverse film that's actually done it very very well so I was very intrigued to watch this um, and luckily it was on Amazon prime uh, I was able to catch it you've seen it too right bro
3: I've seen it, yeah. But I did what you did, uh, Chris. I, I saw it in maybe four sections. I, I'm really honest. Can I be? Can I be frank? Can I be candid? With you? Go for it. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with it.
2: You know, oh my goodness.
3: I find I find the storyline. Uh, look, I'm baffled. I'm baffled by the storyline, and I'm baffled that it's got an Oscar nomination. That doesn't mean to say it doesn't have its points. That it's not a well-made film. If I was writing a review of it, I'd give it three stars because it's very well made. The, the cinematography is excellent. The visuals are great. The set pieces, the the stunts, you know, all of that is all good. So it'd be a three-star film in that way. But is it an Oscar-winning film? Which is really, for me, the bottom line because it's got an Oscar nomination. I I just, I think I struggle with this type of storyline. You know, you know the, the idea that they're, you've got this Chinese family who run a laundrette. And suddenly, Michelle Yeoh's parents is being confronted by different versions of herself in a parallel universe. And you're fighting an enemy of the multiverse. And I think, right, OK. But, you know, it's like one minute they're arguing with Jamie Lee Curtis about their tax returns. And the next minute, they've all got fingers that look like hot dogs. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of just struggle. I'm, you know, I, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's the fact that I saw it in sections. I don't know. But it, it, to me, it was like a patchwork because it, it felt a bit like a Jackie Chan film, a bit like The Matrix, a bit like Enter the Dragon. Now, filmmakers, that's fine. Filmmakers borrow ideas from other films. That's all well and good. But I, I didn't see sense a coherent storyline. And I get frustrated with films like that because I like to see a clear story. Now, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not switched on enough to it but in spite of all of that you have to accept i have to accept that it's highly rated it's performed well at the box office people like it and your friend who said it's his favorite ever film okay fair enough you know the people are spoken people like it it's got that rating fair enough but i don't find it particularly accessible as entertainment it feels more like a computer game to me but I accept I accept its its merits and that it, that people will like it. You know I think one thing I would
2: say, and you you've you've kind of mentioned it already, you know that they're borrowing things from films like The Matrix. Mm. The Matrix actually is probably the best reference because first off, the main character is kind of like Neo in that she's mm. like the only one that can save them. And also, when I watched The Matrix the very first time, I, I really liked The Matrix, but it's it's one of those it. it's one of those films that oh my god, it, it it, it, it improves every time I watch it. I, I find something else from that film, and I think with this, I've only seen this once, but I think it is one of those films that needs to be watched multiple times.
3: It could be, yeah, it could well be.
2: I I actually think, yeah, you know, I don't want to assign you homework, Brian, but if no, I'm no, gonna no, have no. to, do this, yeah. uh, it's just, I think it's a, it's the kind of film. Not, I'm not saying because I'm I'm somewhere in between. I, I I think I liked it more than you, but I I don't get quite why it's got 11 oscars no, yeah you know, that's I think what I, really that, like wow. yeah
3: that's what i don't understand because the ultimate benchmark for film excellence is the oscars isn't it you know it's the baftas and the golden globes and the critics choice awards it's all of those but the one gold standard for filmmaking is the oscars you win an oscar you've got a license to work in america you've got a license to work in hollywood that's the ultimate benchmark for any filmmaker any actor and you think, really, has this film got that number of Oscar nominations? Um, I d- I'm not sure I follow the logic. And I do worry, What, as I say, whilst this film has its merits, um, I wonder wh- whether it, the Oscars are being dumbed down slightly. You know, and li- people listening can, can feel free to disagree with me. Feel free to have a conversation with me about it. And maybe I do need to see it a second time. Maybe it is a slow burner, but I don't see how it it kind of fits into that bracket. It is just a good film. That's all it is, you know?
2: There you go. You heard it here first. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I can see some strengths to it, but I can also see, yeah, that there is a, an element of... Um, Averageness to certain bits. I was, I was a similar, especially the first. I'd say the first third of the film. I was kind of mm. like, this is taking its time. Like this is really like it doesn't yeah. need to go through so much of this because then what happens when it goes balmy and it all starts to go all over the place? You are left in this kind of like, what is going on? <clears> that I think it needed to slow that bit down and speed the first bit up.
3: Yeah, um, it's, it's a then, great title for the film. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Maybe they should add on to the end of that all over the place. It's it's kind of <laughs> like that, you know. Again, look, I'm at the end of the day, Chris. It's all about opinions, isn't it? You know, but I do wonder when a, when a film gets this degree of acclaim, even if it doesn't win in any Oscars, it's got eleven nominations, and that's that's quite an achievement for any film. Um, I do sometimes think to myself, what do other people see that I can't see? You know, um, but hey, look. All credits to them, you know, total respect. They they've they've created a film that people like and really they're in the business to make films people want. And that's exactly what they've done here.
2: There we go. Well, be interesting to see when this comes out and in terms of how many uh... Oscars, it picks up because sometimes they don't like because this. I think this did really well at the Grammys or another showcase recently, and sometimes it does not go their way. Like you have films that have got loads of noms and they come away mm. with one or no Oscars. So it'd be interesting, but yeah. um yeah, that's our streaming film for this uh, episode. Uh, we're gonna go now to our indie collection. So we'll start with a short film called Pavor Nocturnus, directed and written by Brad Case. Um, I'm trying to bring up my notes for this film because mm. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to make yeah. sure. Um, you go first, Brian, on this one.
3: Yeah. I, again, a very, sh- a very short, short film, really. It's 10 minutes, I think. Uh, but, um, I mean, it's it's, it's it's very interesting. You know, it's very good, very well put together, well written. The, the narration is performed by somebody with a fantastic voice. You know, you, you're drawn to this. You know, acting, a lot of acting is, is about using your voice properly. And the actor uh, voicing this part is brilliant, is excellent. And he's relating a, a series of dreams that he keeps having um, about a woman. And in some ways, it feels a bit like an enhanced talking uh, audio book. Um, but... Um, when it reaches the end. It, I was surprised by the ending in this film. Actually, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. I don't know what I was expecting, but it gently builds the story, you know, over that. Over what is just a, f- a few minutes, and kind of. Well, I, w- I was surprised by the ending, and, and I think if you can get a, an ending that surprises the viewer, then it becomes all the more powerful. But it's very haunting. It's gripping. And it's it's very um, almost hypnotic in some ways. It's the voice again, but I, I was very impressed with it. And but you you get you sense that there should be you want more, and I think that's the, probably a, a good sign for a short film is that you want to hear more.
2: Yeah, I think but, it's based on a like a it's from a book that the actual filmmaker had written. I elucidation, think. I think the yeah. series of short stories called <laughs> Elucidation. Yeah. And what I got because. I I sort of was troubled slightly by the film in the sense that some of the um, visuals were quite kind of banal. It was like him making coffee or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It kind of went on with like a long time. And I was like, okay, yeah, so you really are just being told to focus on the narration here. like That's yeah. what you're, you're meant to be doing. And I was yeah. like, would this be better as an audio book? Well, would that be yeah. more what this would have been suited towards? And it wasn't until the actual... Reveal once you start to realize what's going on here that you're like, Oh, okay, yeah, actually, I should have been paying more attention, I guess, to, to how to why this is important, but it's still, I liked it, and I thought yeah. that there were bits that were, were very good. I liked the way that the colors had kind of this weird mix of like being dreary, but then like the reds would like pop and it would have like, uh, yeah, quite a, an angry look to the to some of it, um yeah and there's a bit where he's like in the mirror and he his face goes all weird like he kind of like goes crazy um yeah. so there were some good visuals, but I thought largely it, there wasn't a lot of that even in a ten minute film there's like there's not much remarkable from the visual side of things but yeah. the, the the story and the narration is great, so yeah I'm just wondering whether it would have been better as a as an audience yeah thing.
3: i I think really I suppose what it boils down to is that the visuals don't add much to the story do they really awesome. apart from the final scenes, and you think. He's really got something here. You know, the, the actual story itself, the way it's being told, you think, yeah, it'd be great if you could hear more of those short stories that this one is taken from. But it doesn't necessarily need the visuals, not really. But But it's very good, it's interesting, it's different, but I think the visuals didn't really help the story as much as it should have done,
2: really. There you go. Um, So that's uh, Pavel Nocturnus. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, If possible, we will uh, drop a link as to where you can watch the film, Um, but I think for both of these, we were given private links, so it could be that they're not actually Mm. out anywhere. For uh, some of our subsequent episodes, we're hoping to get more short and indie films that are actually available, say, like on Amazon Prime or something, because it'd be great for everyone to be able to watch them and then send us their thoughts um but for this first one uh this was just a couple of filmmakers that were already found at the website and they they got in touch saying that they were happy for their films to be reviewed um because we do also understand as well sometimes indie filmmakers don't want us to review their films because you know we're going to be honest and we're going to put it out there to people and it might put people off watching i guess um and I, I don't like that opinion because I feel that actually you know, what we do is to shine a light on things. Even films that we don't like, we're still going to um, explore them. I think it, you make up your own mind, really. Uh, but it's, um, we, we don't want to hurt people's feelings if no, we don't need uh, to.
3: I think the thing is, though, Chris, what, what we're aiming to do is to, to arouse enough curiosity for listeners to say, right, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll check it out. I'll have a look at it. And that's that's really, to me, in essence, is what reviewing is all about, is to give people an idea of what they, what it's like and whether they want to investigate it further. At the end of the day, it's an opinion. You and I have opinions. It's as simple as that. But this is just raising the profile of the films that we happen to review. And whatever criticism we make of, of the films, it's always constructive and it's honest.
2: And nothing is perfect, you know? nothing is perfect. You heard it here first. Um, We're going to go do another short film. Um, Mm -hmm. This one written and directed by Sarab Doke, and it's called Love. Um, And this one was an interesting one because it did have more of the feel of a short film that I would normally review for the site. It had the, I'd say like a limited budget. Um, It's not, it's not a big, production here, neither was uh, *Pavon Octonus*, uh, which stands for Night Terrors, by the way. Um, but with Love, yeah, it very much felt like, okay, yeah, here we go. This is like right in our wheelhouse, like we know yeah. these types of films. But I did like the story. So you've got these two friends, they're catching up after a long time and they're having some drinks, but it's quite clear that one of the other friends, one of the friends is sort of angry with the other one. Um, there's a tension there, even if the first guy can't really see it. Um, and... It turns out that the one of the guys is married, and that is the cause of this tension. Um, I'm not going to go into much more about why, because I think you know, if anyone does manage to see the film, it's nice good to not have that bit spoiled for you as to yeah. why what's going on there. Um, yeah. But it was an interesting film. It had that sort of classic storytelling. You know, we've got two friends catching up. Simple location. They're not trying to do too much with the limited resources that they had yeah. um and then yeah what did you think about
3: this one bro i actually quite enjoyed it I, I think it it was quite neat and self-contained it's obvious i had a limited budget but i mean you can still tell a story with just two characters and yeah. it's of course there is the third character that's always off screen and that's the the wife of nicole and that's how the two of them come together that's what they to talk about. I think the story initially takes time to unfold a little bit I think it could have, the first half of the story could have been a bit stappier but I think it is good storytelling uh, and it was quite enjoyable all I would say about it is that um, the um, the dialogue was partly in Hindi I do apologise if I've got the language wrong I think it's Hindi isn't its that it was spoken partly in Hindi then they go into English and back into Hindi again. Um, And I found that difficult to keep up with because you're seeing uh, subtitles coming up and then they're speaking in English. Then they speak, you know, Mm -hmm. that side of it. I think it should have been one or the other. They should have just been speaking in one language or the other. I think that's kind of disturbed the pace of the story to me. Just a little bit.
2: Yeah, because well, sometimes you'll have it like... Because, funny enough, I was watching um, Shang-Chi last night. Uh, my wife hasn't seen it yet, so we were catching up on Shang-Chi. Yeah, right. And um, they do that a lot. Like, the film's going along, and it'll be, they're talking in English, and then um, Mandarin or, or Chinese or whatever. And it's like, okay, like, they're, they're flitting between the two. And I don't know if it's because maybe the characters find that what they're saying is better expressed in that language, if you know yeah, what I mean, it like maybe it's that, because also sometimes it happens when there's obviously different characters around, but when there's just yeah. two characters, you would assume, like us, ah, so, you know, that we're talking right now in one language, that that would yeah. be what they would do, but, um, you know, I, I hold my hands up, I only know very very little German and French, like, I can't yeah. really say what I would do if I knew a whole other language, that, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe that is just what very talented multilinguists do, you know.
3: Yeah, it <laughs> could well, it could well be.
2: <clears throat> yeah, so that,
3: that was the, that's the only kind of real downside for me. Otherwise, it was a very good story, very intricate, very well put together. As I say, the first half of that film could have been a little bit quicker. Mm. But aside from that, it was very good. It was well put together and and raises some, some real issues in the way relationships develop and the dynamics between people that are very close to each other. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the way it was put together and it, it was, yeah, it was very good.
2: Excellent. So that's love. Um, uh, Saurabh don't as I, I say, unlikely you're going to be able to find it on a streaming platform right now. We've not been told that it's it's anywhere. So um, to you know, check it out if you can, like, do a Google and just see if, if it's something that you want to watch. Um, so moving on. To our final film of the episode. What of what mm. has been a fantastic episode so far, Brian. Well done. You've, you've oh, really brought your you. A game this time, haven't you? Oh, thank you. Well done, you um, oh thank you, sir. Yeah. Um, we are gonna review the nostalgia pick, which I chose for this episode, yeah. um, as it's one of my favorite films. Goodwill Hunting.
3: I love um, this film. Uh, I any reason to film. watch
2: this film, I just thought I was going to, uh, yeah, let's make this the first one. because, I'm,
3: I'm, I'm, Yeah, go on, Karen, on, off to you. I
2: just think it's a beautiful film. Um, I think it stands up to the test of time. You, know, you can still watch this now. Some of the characters, because they're so flawed, it still is okay. The things that they say, things that they do, it's sort of like you're not meant to really agree with them. And I yeah. think, you know, this is, you know, me getting. Very dangerous territory, but I think it's potentially Robin Williams's best performance.
3: Well, he did get an Oscar for it, didn't he?
2: So mm. I, I just think it's an incredible performance. You cannot take your eyes off him when he's no, when he's on the screen.
3: I know. I think what what's really interesting about Robin Williams' performance in this film is that he really reined it in. You know, he's a, by trade he's a stand up comic, and the the tendency is to, is to exaggerate a persona, but he really pulled this one in and it was very low key in some ways, but it works even better in some ways. I think it is his film more than Matt Damon's film or uh, Ben Affleck's film. It's his film. He's the, as you say, whenever he's on screen, you're, you're transfixed and that this just, you just realize what a very good actor he was and how tragic it is that his life ended in the way it did. I think the film itself, I, you chose such a good film here, Chris, you really did. It's it, it's a wonderful film. It doesn't feel... I've not watched it for a few years, and it was like watching it for the first time in some ways. I might have, it might be, I don't know, 10 years since I watched it, but it still feels fresh. The, the script is excellent. The acting spot on. You, and I love the... What, I'd say what I really like about Goodwill Hunting is the subject matter as well, because really the focus is on a genius. Now, geniuses can sometimes be neglected, overlooked, dismissed. They fall through the cracks sometimes. And it's, in the story, it took the university professor, played by Sterling Skarsgård, to recognise his potential because he was a janitor that works out the solution to a mathematical problem no one can solve. And then he gets a psychologist to really get him out of his shell. I love that kind of storyline. It's just challenging in it and on a completely different level. I think it's a brilliant film. Really, really love this film.
2: Yeah, and I think the the way that it holds up is largely down to the cast. I think it's, it's yeah. a great cast. They've got a lovely chemistry. Like mm. you're watching this film and whether it's you know, Affleck and Damon, obviously they're going to be getting on like I was on fire, best buds. Um, or if it's when Matt Damon's with Minnie Driver, I find mm. their their romance plot is just excellent. Like really yeah. find it very engaging because... It's so believable. You've got this almost Romeo and Juliet thing. where He yes, comes yes. from the, the poor yeah. background. She comes from yeah. well, what, what it seems to be a, a wealthy background. Yeah. And the way that that has caused a central problem for them, especially for, it seems, for Matt Damon's character. I love the way that that's explored. And yeah. then you have this father figure of Robin Williams, mm. who is like... Him and Stellan Skarsgård are these, like, surrogate parents. They suddenly, yeah. cause, because um, Matt Damon's character is an orphan, that you suddenly have, like, you know, the, the mm. dad that really wants to push him, which is, like, Stellan. And then you've got yeah. um, That's right. yeah. Robin Williams, is like, the you know, maybe the more maternal character. I'm, I'm using gender stereotypes here. But more maternal yeah. character that wants to just make sure that he can explore his issues and and be be a healthy person and I think that's what's really powerful about the film because actually it really does explore very uh, important things like um, you know toxic masculinity and male insecurities and things like that because it's it's doing all that and it is a largely male cast you know it's it's only really really, the the female presence
3: yeah yeah but as I say, it it still works. You know, I think a lot of films will date. You know, over time they they do, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing when a film does date. It doesn't mean to say that the quality diminishes. It just becomes more typical of its time. But I don't think Goodwill Hunting is obviously a '90s film. You know, there are some films that are typically '90s, typically '80s, but this film could have been made today. It still feels so fresh tragically we don't have robin williams here to play that part but it's that kind of film it does i don't think it does date at all it's the strength of storytelling it's what i always obsess about with any film i mean look honestly seriously chris you compare it to everything everywhere all at once it's like comparing einstein to a caveman frankly
2: <laughs> well, I'm not calling it that anymore. Anyway, I'm calling it everywhere, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once, all over the place. Like, all over I the think, place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was brilliant. I'm going to
3: call it that again. But but you see the point I'm making though is that we all like we all look for different things in a film. Now, everything, everywhere, all at once, has its qualities. People like it. People have voted with their feet. They say, right, we like this. Fair enough. But this is my kind of film. This is a f- type of film that entertains you. And not that I don't like action movies, I do, but the type of action movie I I would like, I like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon or Indiana Jones. That's my kind of action movie. That's the closest equivalent to everything, everywhere, all at once that I would like. I like strong characters. I like storylines. I like things you can really relate to but not something that, I mean, I think this is quite, this works on an intellectual level as well, though, doesn't it, Goodwill Hunting? I yeah. mean, this is about a genius, isn't it, a mathematical genius? Not that it, it delves into math, mathematical theory very much. It shouldn't, and it doesn't. But nevertheless, it's dealing with an intellectual matter, isn't it? It's dealing with the mind. Robin Williams plays a psychologist. It's It's helping a genius think more clearly, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and you know, there's another film called A Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe. Oh, and it has, Russell Crowe. Yeah. yeah, similar like vibes, but yeah. Good Will Hunting, I think, is just leagues above it like, in terms of like memorable performances and just being a genuinely affecting film. I remember that yeah. obviously everyone talks about that scene where Robin Williams talks about his wife, um, yeah, you know, sitting on the bench, and. I w- like I much like you, I, I hadn't seen it for a good few years, which is why I picked it, because I'd watched it recently. And I was like, you know what? I gotta talk about this film? And yeah. it got me again every time I watch yeah, this it film. Does. It's just every time, and nobody does the bit, you know, it's not your fault, it's not your fault. And you're like, yeah. Oh man, no, I'm going, I'm going. And I and think I, it's just brilliant. It's got uh, everything the, going for it, and it's still as potent today as it is. Yeah. As it was back then. I
3: mean, I mean, there are there are powerful emotional scenes throughout that film. And the, one particular scene that strikes me is, again, between Robin Williams and Matt Damon, where uh, Matt Damon, where Will Hunting's baiting him about his wife, not knowing the background, not understanding uh, Robin Williams' character properly. He makes a remark. Then Robin Williams' character snaps, the psychologist snaps, and he, he pins him up against the wall. Mm. And you might think, oh, well, that's the end of that one, because that was the fifth psychologist that, that uh, Lambro had uh, Matched him up with, but he he comes out of the office. He said, "Right, Thursday four o'clock." You think, "Great, we're on now." It's sort <laughs> of like the battle lines are drawn, in and we're in for a very illuminating encounter between some great characters and really cool actors. You know, I mean, Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Stellan Skarsgård, and Minnie Driver. Aren't they such cool actors? You know, whatever cool is. You know, I I don't I can't define cool, but I know it when I see it, and this is cool.
2: Wow. Can't say it better than that. Um, well, that's our lot for this episode. Um, so, for next month, we will probably release a, a more kind of firm list. But, Brian, is there anything on your hit list in terms of cinema releases you're going to be capturing?
3: Um, there's a couple that spring to mind. Uh, there is Women Talking, which is uh, well represented in the Oscar. Uh, nominations. That's coming out this Friday, I think. And also, what's love got to do with it? Not wow. the not the Tina Turner film. This is a film starring uh, Emma Thompson, and it's it's about arranged marriages, or what they're now calling uh, assisted marriages. Uh, so I'm expecting great things of that. It's a very. It feels more like a light comedy. So that that's two that are will be on my list for the next podcast.
2: Oh, fantastic! Um, we'll be picking up some indie films from a list that I put out on Twitter um, this week, which where I asked some indie filmmakers whose film were on uh, Amazon Prime. But I just need to go through and check with those um but yeah check back regularly at uk film review anywhere on social so facebook instagram twitter we'll put the list out as soon as we can once we know what we're watching and yeah any of the films that we've reviewed in this episode you can also send us your uh your reviews of those i'm happy to maybe play them at the beginning of the episode i think that'd be quite cool to just share those um we're hoping to to get some contributions if not i'll hit up the podcast crew i'm sure they've all got lots to say about this they always have lots to say those guys those peeps um but as always thank you for for joining us we hope you've enjoyed this very first episode of uk film club we're very excited about it um brian thank you as always uh good sir for joining me You're and awesome. for bringing such an amazing array of films to this episode yeah. what a great start need to you. keep it going now don't we we do um but that's it for this episode of the UK you Review your podcast uh we'll see you again next time
3: bye for now